1: And we are back. Thank you so much for joining us for yet another of the most scintillating hours in finance radio. Not one of the most. And again, there is tongue always a little bit in cheek when we say that. <laughs> we don't have it. I just always thought it was, I, I just always, I started doing that almost as a joke because I just thought it was, oh, as a joke. Yeah, 100% as a joke. I just always thought it was funny when, you know, you'd hear sportscasters come on the number one local radio sp- sports show <laughs> you know, you're know, you like wait in the world yeah because there's world rankings for local radio sports shows right um anyway so same is true here so we we're we just the first to put claim on the title i guess is the way you'd say it anyway got a great show planned for you today got a great interview and i was telling the folks in the three minute three minute warm-up up here in seattle i was telling them uh about that interview, and it's, it's – uh, for the folks down in Texas, we're new down there. You're going to get to hear an interview with uh, my right-hand man, Mr. Marcos Bueno, who runs our Momentum uh, Algorithmic Portfolio. Um, and Marcos is a fascinating guy. He's brilliant. Um, he's worked at a few of the biggest hedge funds in the world running uh, uh, commodity trade – their commodities trading desk, um, managed money at Goldman Sachs and J.P. Morgan. Um, you know, MBA from Wharton, uh, masters in mathematical engineering. The guy's a brilliant guy, uh, that is a pro, you know, he's a hired gun, man. And, um, he knows this game and, uh, it's been a big value add to us. And the other cool thing about Marcos is he's done, he spent considerable amounts of time on the fundamental value side of investing. Um, and he's also built quant and algorithmic momentum strategies, and, um, there aren't a lot of guys in the industry that, that, that do that. You you usually spend your career on one side or the other. Um, and that's one of the, fr- you know, where I am much more, you know, my first interactions with algorithmic tradings were via our algorithmic momentum portfolio that we launched with Marcos here. Um, cause I'm just more of a fundamental guy. I just, you know, a lot of it has to do with personality I've realized. Um, And if you hear people go, no, fundamental investing is the only way to go. Oh, you're an idiot. Listen, you've got some of the greatest investors in the world on either side of that, right? Um, Both uh, approaches can work phenomenally well. Like with most things, it depends on who's driving the car, right? Um, And I think Marcos is a very good driver. So you're not going to want to miss that. We cover everything. We're going over – markets to the ai stuff to tech and the meg 7 and how much further it can go and how crazy are these valuations can go and what's going on in the economy and you know the interplay between interest rates and and uh liquidity is inflation overstated we talked china it really is a it really is an all encompassing uh discussion uh with a really smart experienced investor and i think it i i you know i and notice I'm not saying to listen to what I have to say. I just think anybody, everybody can benefit from it um, just because not, so not only has Marcos traded those, you know, traded those markets. He's been to a lot of these places, you know, for for doing fundamental research for the hedge funds he's working at, which he discusses in the interview. But anyway, you're not going to want to miss that. So let's get to it. Market update. I'm sure most of you know we're sitting here today. NASDAQ's up about one and a quarter percent on the day again. Uh, NVIDIA is up another two to three times their annual revenue again. Um, really is remarkable. I, I don't think I've ever seen a stock. I don't think I've ever seen one and a half to 2% moves on a stock. I've never seen, I don't think I've ever seen a stock. get so big and so expensive that one and a half to 2% moves on their shares were multiples of their annual revenue. Maybe I have. I don't think so, though. It's just wild. And this is what's... Guys, this is what makes it, it, in my opinion, this this sounds really strange based on what you're hearing out there in the world today, but it's what makes NVIDIA to me uninvestable. Right? And when I say uninvestable, I mean, you can't short it, you can't long it, in my opinion. Why? Again, people are like, it's an amazing – yes, it's an amazing company, guys. So is Microsoft, and you're not going to see anybody throw out an $8 trillion bid for it, right? So the question is, it is an amazing company. Is it a good investment at this price? Uh, I would bet strongly over the next 8 to 10 years that it's a horrible price to pay for an investment, but I don't know that. Marcos and I discussed this a little bit in the interview as well. You just get to a certain point – again, if you listen to the Daily Dots – Oh, guys, that's the other thing. I probably don't do that enough. Um, again, nothing that we put out is behind a paywall, but we're doing our daily dots. It's our, our show that we do every single day. We try, we've try. we gone longer lately just because there's been so much data and information coming out. But we try to keep it between 15 to 25 minutes. And the reason we started doing it, honestly, was at the request of several of our clients that were frustrated at how bad financial news was. And they're like, Zach, I feel like I get 50% of the news that's important. And it takes like an hour and a half to get it. And so we said, you know what, let's start doing this just because in these times things moving so fast, it's also a fascinating economic environment, guys, right? we you've never seen a period of time where home sales were at their lowest pace. And this is just one aspect, right? At their lowest pace at some point in the last 30 years, and yet the economy is supposedly growing at four and a half percent. Right. These things just you, you've got you've got probably record levels of defaults coming in the commercial office space, uh, commercial office space realm sector this year. Uh, despite that. Right. You're growing four, It's just you. I, I there you've never seen a, a an economy where you've got as many conflicting narratives and as many conflicting cross. It's as complicated of a situation I've ever seen. And. Um, Yeah, it's, it's, it's wild. It's wild. And, and one of the things that we've been looking about, or excuse me, looking at and talking about at great length has been what's driving it, right? Saying that I, if, if we didn't see a recession happen at some point, actually last year, and I think I said, or into the first couple quarters this year, I just don't see it happening guys. And you got a giant tug of war happening right now. And for those of you that think I'm being a Pollyanna and flipping around, you just got to follow the data. And you've got two conflicting titans pulling against each other right now. I think you've got the debt loads and the higher interest rates. And then just the overhang of a 15-year cycle that's really pulling it recessionary. I think the whole AI thing has been a shot in the arm to the economy. And then also just the government spending, right, $2.1 trillion a year. And and again, I I want to put that in, people are like, well, that just can't hold it can. And I think it is. Right? And and to put it into perspective, remember, during the Great Recession, now remember the the economy was smaller than. I believe the economy was about sixteen trillion in size. We're now running at twenty four, twenty five, somewhere around there, maybe more now. Uh but the economy was smaller, but it's still startling to listen to these numbers. Remember the the great recession right the financial crisis was the worst you know recession we had since the great depression and from top to bottom economic activity contracted about 3.8% or okay or or to the tune of <clears throat> what would that add up to about 600 billion dollars so you had about a 600 billion dollar contraction in the in in gdp okay we're running def- we're running deficits not go- not total government spending we're running deficits that are nearly four x that number right and I think that kind of helps you understand why you're like zach, with all this stuff going on and 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 you know shipping like you've told us and home sales how, how is it not a recession and I think that's kind of where you can have a recession and not a recession at the same time right so Certain parts of the economy are doing great, especially the parts of the economy that are interplaying with, you know, the Inflation Reduction Act, right, government contracts, things of that nature, and then AI, other parts of the economy that aren't doing well. But crazy enough, and we got to watch for confirmation, but it kind of looks like those other parts of the economy are bottoming. They're not getting better. But they seem to, at least for the moment, seem to be – and a couple of them have popped up a little bit. I I wouldn't say any trends have reversed, but it seems like you've kind of arrested the downside. Now, I think there are two reasons for that. Like I was saying, um, all that money pouring into the system. The other thing is because of that money pouring into the system, right? we we saw financial conditions loosen dramatically over the fourth quarter of last year. We were sitting there saying, hey – if, if what we're seeing is correct, we would expect to see economic data pop in the first quarter. That is what's happening. Um, now, does it justify the moves we're seeing in the stock market? No, guys, a lot of these moves, I, I, I really – you're kind of past the point of explaining to them. And that's why I just said I you – know, honestly, other than watching them for voyeuristic terms or, or, or purposes, just because you can't you know take your eye off it, I just think a lot of those things are uninvestable. And again, like I I'll, I'll repeat, that's not me telling you to short it by any stretch of the imagination. Just meaning, I just don't know what you own. You know, when you get when you get a 1.7, 1.8 trillion dollar company trading at I don't know, I mean what what if this up 30, 40 times revenue, something like that, it could be worth every penny, it could be worth 20%. It it just you it like we taught I mean Marcos and I discussed this more in the interview. You know, I, I can't tell you where it's going. But if I blindfold you and we're playing darts and you get a bullseye, it's not because you're the greatest dart thrower of all time. You just got plain lucky, right? And I just – I think that's where you're at with some of these things. Like could they keep going up? Sure. But – and could they justify this price at some point in the future on a fundamental basis? Sure. It's just so far out there. Yeah, I mean – Do you see what I'm saying? Like, so that's one of the biggest issues with issues with valuations is you're just building in too much future expectations. And when you're building, think about it. It's like, it's sort of like going to the moon, right? If you're a half a degree off, you don't land in the wrong spot. You're in deep space, right? So even little misses extrapolated over that kind of long right can make a huge divergence, and, and that's the problem when these valuations get there. It may be worth it, it may not be, but you can't anticipate these little. Chi- you know what? What if what? If, look, and a lot of these companies are working on chips. You could see a scenario where you know Nvidia isn't going anywhere. Right? I think they're one of the greatest companies in the world in terms of the pro- You know the the quality of chips they make. It's, this again, no knock on Nvidia. But you, you know, you could see, we know Google's got a really good AI chip. It's not ideal for a lot of the a lot of the purposes of AI, but for about 20 to 30 percent, it's actually better than the Nvidia chips. What if Google launch, launches a chip that's better than you know so what we know is that the ability to build that chip that's better at some of those functions, a lot of those should carry over. It's not going to be a one for one, but it means that Google's really close, right? One of those companies could drop a competing chip and you could you could cut those it and, and still see amazing growth from NVIDIA, but cut those growth expectations in half and the stock gets slaughtered. Right? That's the that's the problem with those high valuations. You just don't know. And 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 then the other issue is is that when they get that high, when one of those details changes, the volatility is unimaginable, right? Because you're not just correcting a price abnormality for the next couple quarters, you're adjusting prices that have been built in over the next decade. So, I, like I said, I you know, what I would tell you if you're an owner, especially if you owned at substantially lower rates, lower levels, trim and keep trimming as it goes. Okay. And, and especially if you've owned it for a while, if you've got a low cost point, You know, trim, take some profits for God's sake. Okay, like I said, because the other danger is people are like, well, you know, if that narrative switches, I'm going to get out. Again, if the narrative switches, it's not going to have a bad day. You could see when a valuation is that stretched. And guys, we've seen it happen with several companies that weren't as solid or big. I get that. But the dynamics are exactly the same. You have a bad quarter; you could be down forty to fifty percent. Okay, well, when, when it can move that much at any given time, you can't hedge it, right? So that's the that's the difficulty. And Nvidia isn't the only stock like that. A lot of these retail portfolios I see, you know, some of them have done really well. The problem is, is that they are sixty to seventy percent in like four companies, right? Apple, uh, Nvidia. Tesla, and, and and Amazon or Microsoft, right? Now, those other companies aren't as crazy as NVIDIA, but they ain't cheap either, right? And you just got a lot riding on a few names. Um, other earnings, look, anything uh, Cloudflare reported, reported yesterday, ticker symbol NET, that is a holding of ours. Uh, bought it a while back. At more expensive than I wanted to, but they are a they are an outstanding company, and um, it was one of those things. You saw those tech earnings roll in that were were significantly stronger than I was expecting. Pretty impressive, honestly, especially with companies like Meta, uh, Microsoft's, I'm really surprised. My, my I I am very surprised that Microsoft is trading where it is based on the last quarter. Once again, people got it was a good last quarter. It was no problem with it. The market multiple they're trading at, in my opinion, requires a much better quarter than that. Now, people are counting in AI. I I just don't – I don't know. I don't see a lot of follow-through. I don't hear a lot of guidance from Microsoft. I don't think you're going to see – I think you're going to see minuscule amounts of revenue from AI divisions over the next several quarters. When that starts kicking in, how it does, I don't know. I just know there's a lot of hope built into that stock. Um, So I understand why it hasn't sold off. I think it's kind of crazy that it hasn't, Um, but you know, time will tell the other side of it too, is even in that space um, I just think there's a lot of other places to find value. It's getting tougher and tougher in tech. Uh, But I just think that there are so many places to find solid value in tech, um, you know, and, 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 and win from it. Uh, So no, these tech earnings are strong. I really don't see them going anywhere in the short run. I mean, a lot of this is just driven by people chasing the AI thing. Not even in, not, I'm not talking investors, right? Just people buying, needing to buy the products and the services. You know, that's SMCI. Everybody's getting all jacked up about that. Kicking myself on that one. We did some fundamental research on that thing at 80 to 90 and just missed the boat. All right, such is the game. Um, And, you know, I look at an SMCI right now relative to their outlook and certainly relative to other prices. Computers is what it's called, ticker symbol SMCI. Um, I think it's doubled in a month, (laughs) something like that. Uh, On good earnings, but again, not the kind of earnings that would get me on that one. ARM was another one earlier this week. ARM announced good earnings. And I'm reading through the earnings numbers and they're good. Um, but I mean, it was really expensive. So I'm kind of reading the details of the earnings and I'm not seeing the ticker symbol. And I'm like, and and I've had this happen to me a couple of times where I'm like, huh, I could see the stock going either way on that. I, I could see it going up a little, but I could also see it selling off five to 10% because the thing was so expensive. And again, it was a good quarter. Just, you know, if you're sitting at 25, 30 times revenue, 10 to 15% revenue growth ain't cutting it. it. Just the math doesn't work out. It's just a bad investment at that price. So I – but there's – but like I was saying, if you look at SMCI, don't get suckered in by the valuation. And, and and look, I I get the whole valuation argument. That chart is just tough to buy. I mean if you just pull up that chart, it is a hockey – I mean it is just going vertical and uh like chase says i've never had good luck buying sticks right meaning just buying something that just went vertical ripping you know i when you see a stock moving like that in an environment like this once again it's just hard to handicap it's just hard to handicap so uh what else do we have uh Oh, let's see. Market update, hot data. I t- hit on the hot dab data. Um, as far as the markets, we've been keeping you updated where you are on these technical levels. Technically, the the technically the technically NASDAQ has still has not broken to a new all-time high, but it looks like it's going to, it's rampaging that way. And the reason I say that is the Qs, the triple Qs, they are at a substantially new high. So while I will not be, I will be further convinced if the NASDAQ breaks out, the NASDAQ proper breaks out from here. It's hard to imagine it not, especially on the back of those earnings numbers, you know? Uh, And again, are these stocks cheap? No. But, you know, you're putting up, you know, like you look at Facebook in this environment. We all know, look, contrary to what the news and the Fed is telling us and all that kind of stuff, we know it's not an easy economic environment out there. And to see a company like Facebook at their size throwing up 23% revenue increases year over year and 148% increase in, in uh, what was it? Uh, what was the metric? Anyway, it was, I think it was, uh, was it cash flow or anyway, I think it was positive cash, something like that. Operating income, maybe it was operating income. Anyway, it, 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 unbelievable, especially in this environment with rates where they're at. Um, and and we're at that level, guys. We're at that level where I said, if we don't run into recession and you break through all time, here, all time highs here, we're going to change the way we manage money. Well, we're in the process of doing that. We're not going to change it across the board. The principles don't change. The stuff we're invested doesn't change. The way we're going to express the bets does. Now, we are not launching this right now. So all of our clients don't start calling in. You'll all be made aware. There's some groundwork that has to go through. We've got to work through it on a regulatory basis and go through all the right steps and make sure we're doing things correctly. Don't want to get in trouble. Don't want to tick off the regulators. But what we're going to do is we are going to basically run our non-constrained or our value portfolio. But we are going to do it. We are going to incorporate the use of hedges or excuse me, we're going to express our hedges on both tails, meaning hedges that we're using for protection and hedges that we're putting on the on the upside of things, thinking that the market might break out and run. We're going to start expressing those trades and options um, that might scare some of you. It shouldn't. We've got very experienced option traders that are going to be doing this uh, with us on our team. Chase almost exclusively in his own accounts manages, uh, operates via futures and options. Uh Marcos has traded exclusively in options at times in his career. So we, we've got the expertise and the guys to do it. And the simple reason why is because we need the convexity of the options. We were looking at some numbers when we were going through COVID. And and, and, and for those of you that don't, don't know, right, uh, <clears throat> at the beginning of COVID, we were hedged up pretty tight. Just we, we didn't know, nobody knew how it was going to play out. We just thought, The U.S. markets were bizarrely sanguine in the face of what was currently going on overseas and just felt like there could be some turbulence. Well, we we were more right than we thought we would be. But we went back and looked at some numbers and had we expressed – had we done the exact same traits with the exact same notional value involved, meaning using options – so we, you know, when you use options, they have far more leverage. So you don't need to bet as big. That's one of the other advantages is we we can hedge the portfolio using far less cash and get way bigger and catch way more violent moves to the upside when things go our way. But, but the other part of it is, so like I said, we went back and looked at it and said, okay, we, we want to make an apples to apples comparison here. We want to see, so the same notional value, meaning if we had a twenty percent short against the SPX. Let's go look at w- what an option would have do. That was the equivalent of being twenty percent of our book short the SPX at the exact same time. That's that's the idea, right? And rather where where we were down in COVID, right around nine percent when the market was down thirty six, had we done everything the same and expressed those trades via options, we'd have been up somewhere between five to ten, right? Um, so it's just more efficient. It ties up less capital. It allows us to keep the underlying core of the portfolio more secure, but still getting the advantage of the run to the upside in stocks. So anyway, it's just a great system. we we got to take a quick break. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. This
0: is Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham. Listen to Zach uncover the truth about the financial markets with simple and honest advice to help you plan for retirement. Get your free copy of Zach's new booklet, Common Sense Investing. Go to knowyourriskradio.com.
1: How many times in recent memory has your financial advisor not reacted to current events and also not made a change in your investment portfolio? Now, think about all the volatile events during that time that have threatened your retirement. That's Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at
2: Bulwark Capital and host of the Know Your Risk Radio podcast.
1: Todd, we talk about it all the time, risk management. It's our number one focus. We actively manage every portfolio daily, looking for opportunities to lower risk, lower cost, and give you as much upside as possible. Let us show you how Bulwark's risk management strategy can protect that retirement you've worked so hard for.
2: This is exactly why you need Zach and Bulwark Capital in your corner. You only get one retirement. Learn how Bulwark does it with their free common sense investing guide. Call 866-779-RISK or simply go to KnowYourRiskRadio.com. That's 866-779-RISK or go to KnowYourRiskRadio.com. Investment advisory services offer through Tech Financial LLC and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital Management.
1: And we are back. Thank you for sticking with us. All right. So this is like a this is like a PSA. It's not gonna be a very long, uh, very long segment, but I I I came across something today, and um one of the things that we talk about all the time is one of the reasons we do the show, obviously, is to get clients, you know, to get people. Um, that being said, you, you also want to be a – and I think a, I think the vast majority of people listening to the radio would probably be the same way. But if you're going to do it, you also want to try to be a valuable source of information. You know what I mean? Like if, if we're going to do this, yeah, we want to get clients. But um, I don't know. I, well, I, I've always been like that. I love coaching. Um, I love learning. Um, but I also love teaching. I love it when you can take something that somebody I, – I, here's what I really love teaching, and it's one of the reasons I love coaching kids. I love teaching somebody something that they don't think they're good or smart enough to understand, and then they understand it, and you look at the empowerment that gives them, and their lights light up, and you go, yeah, you are smart. You just didn't understand the esoteric nonsense around it, right? You just." The other thing I found is amazing is so few people – well, <laughs> I shouldn't say that. Uh, there are a lot of people out there. They don't think they know much about investing. And when you break some concepts down, you they realize, oh, I knew that. I just didn't know the language around it, right? Well, the fee situation in this industry is very much the same. And what's odd is in a in a in a in a a, and, and the knife cuts both ways. Um, meaning fees are very important, okay, but not all fees are created equal. Okay. Everybody tells you fees, 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 okay? There is a fund out there uh, called – oh, I'm blanking out. Jim Simons runs it. Famous Hedge Funds. um, Oh, goodness. It's called the Medallion Fund. Oh, I'm just blanking out. It'll it'll, it'll come to me in a second. Anyway, they charge a 5% management fee and then a performance fee of 40% of all profits. So you pay them five percent a year, and then of the money they make, they, they make you. They keep forty percent of it. People are like I'd never do that, and you are like, well, net of fees, going back to nineteen eighty seven, I believe that fund has returned like thirty eight percent a year. Okay, now I have not returned thirty eight percent net of fees per year, but but I say this to to to, to point out, contrary to what you believe. Fees can be well worth it, right? If the returns justify it, right? Now, the other side of it is fees can be absolute highway robbery. How do you know the difference? Well, let me tell you a little story. So we had a client move some money to us, new client. uh, Let's see, about a year ago, maybe, maybe two years ago. And he comes in from somebody else and we're looking through his portfolio. So, first of all, the reason he came to us is he got whacked really hard in 2022. He was down like, I don't know, 35% or something like that. And um, same old thing, basically a 60-40 portfolio. He was getting hit on the stocks and the equities. Why they kept the, or excuse me, the equities and the bonds. Why they kept long-dated bonds. The portfolio going into the hiking cycle, I will still never understand that. That that to me was like the easiest uh that was like the, you know, that was like the easiest falling rock to dodge just because they told you they were going to raise rates and that compresses multiples. Um, But yeah, so, so we get in there, we're, we're, we're tearing through this portfolio. And again, you know, the, thir- the, the big hit he took was there, but what really caught our eye is that first of all, it was all ETFs and mutual funds and a lot of mutual funds and sizable amounts in a lot of these mutual funds. And on top of it, the fee was high, meaning he was paying a 1.5% advisory fee. And on a million dollar account, that's fairly steep, right? Especially when you see mutual funds in the portfolio. So we cracked the the hood on the mutual funds and guess what we found? All of them were carrying somewhere between 1% to 2.5% expense ratios. We added up and the guy's expense ratio on the portfolio is like 3%. Well, guess what's in the mutual funds? He's got like seven or eight different ones. They were all almost identical. They all look like replicas of the S&P 500. Now they had different names. This is one is large cap US. This is large cap growth. This is large cap value. This is foreign opportunities. This is this. They can say whatever they want. You pop them open and, and, and the killer is, had he put all that money in one mutual fund, he'd have gotten a lower fee. Right. And then the guy's like, well, you know, he's not, but he's not benefiting from that. And I'm like, well, and I'm not sure. Cause we haven't used mutual funds in so long, but if he's truly a fiduciary, if he's a broker, that is not the case. If he's a broker, he's charging you an advisory fee and he's getting kickbacks from the mutual fund company. Now, if you're a fiduciary, I don't think you can get kickbacks. Uh, like we, we don't use mutual funds anyway, but I, even if we do, we can just charge our management fee. We can't get kickbacks I don't believe from mutual funds we won't use them anyway but but that kind of performance right and you're looking at it and he's like do you think you guys can do better and I said well honestly sir you can and he goes what do you mean and I go you you basically have the S&P 500 and you're charging you three percent for it and they're not actively managing it right like just sell it. you know you I we can do a better job for you And we did, but also you don't need to come to us to drastically improve the efficiency of your portfolio. And we just showed them, look, look, this is what you own. Here are the percentages. Here's the S&P 500. You're paying 3%. It charges 10 basis points. Boom. Bob's your uncle. There you go. Right? Swap that out for this over the next 10 years and you're guaranteed to beat it by 40% or something, you know, something around there. Yeah. What would that be? 3% annualized compounded over 10 years. I know seven is a double, but whatever you know, 40, 50%, right? Guys, I don't see it as much anymore, but it's a startling amount. And here's the other common thread. In every account I see it, the client has no clue. Now, I think the term fiduciary gets overplayed because it's just the way that so much of the industry has gone, right? They just almost everybody seems to be. But it's another good reason to make sure that you are working with a fiduciary because I get, and I don't know that firm. And quite honestly, I don't care what other people are doing. I don't, you're never going to hear me denigrate other firms. You're not going to do, why? because I don't care. I focus on, now we get denigrated a lot by other firms, but it's because we're the fastest growing one in this area. So, you know, I, my whole adage is if they're not hating, you're not trying, right? Meaning that's good, but you're not, you're never going to hear us beg on other firms or anything like that. But I will say this. That difference right there is one of the reasons why when you're picking somebody, whether it's us or anybody else, you definitely want to be like, like I've always said, look, because you're a fiduciary doesn't mean you're good at managing money. But if you're not a fiduciary, I wouldn't pick that person to manage your money, right? It doesn't mean you're good, but what it does mean is the structure of your business is just so much more fairly geared. Meaning if we were dishonest folks and wanted to double dip out of client accounts, we just couldn't in that way. Right? I can't get paid kickbacks from the mutual fund companies. And other people, and this is why you've got to be careful. There are other people out there that will tell you they're a fiduciary. But honestly, if if they are at a BD with a Series 7, technically they cannot say they can act in a fiduciary manner for you. They can run a fee-based account for you and and Perform and behave as a fiduciary, but they also have the legal ability to not behave as a fiduciary. And I'm not insinuating that all or most of them will do that. I'm also not even insinuating that the guy that built that portfolio for that guy that I was telling you, I'm not even insinuating that he necessarily knew. Okay, that's the other thing. I think a lot of times people look at these financial advisor setups when they see things like that and they're like, oh, that's a scammer. And you go, no, it's actually more innocent than that. He didn't know, right? And people don't understand to become a financial advisor. You don't go through some really elite training. You don't have to have a degree in anything. It's just, it's basically sales training. I mean, you have to learn stuff about the industry in the, in the, in your tests. You got to understand you, you have to have a better understanding of how financial markets and financial securities work than the average person but it does not teach you how to manage money. It's not even – the training isn't focused on that. The training is all focused on how to round up clients. Now, not, not the regulatory test. The regulatory test, you got to study and do all that kind of stuff. But I'm just saying, you get a financial advisor. If that's all they've done, right? If, if the extent of their financial knowledge are, are their registrations and their tests, then I – you know, I, I just – you shouldn't pay that much for that, right? They know more than you, but by definition, if they're managing money responsibly, meaning if that's all their training, they should not be managing money themselves, right? Meaning they should be, they should be an advisor. They should be telling you where to place money. And for that, you just shouldn't pay very much. Certainly not one and a half percent. And then on top of mutual fund fees. And I'll just tell you the way it worked back in the day. That that's 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 obscene. Back in the day, you know, there would be like, oh, you'd sell a mutual funds, like for instance, like American funds, right? People are like, oh, you don't want anything with the commission. Well, here's the thing. Yeah, you'd pay a. Fu- now, I'm not in favor of this. I think there's better ways to do it, like being a fee based fiduciary, like we are. But even back in the day, a lot of these fiduciaries will beg on this. You'd buy, you know, American funds. You'd pay a 5.75 percent upfront fund, and then you'd have internal fees after that of like 0.6 percent a year. Well, if you held that fund for 10 to 15 years. That's perfectly acceptable fees. And the advisor got the upfront 5% commission and then they got part of the trailers, right? They weren't charging you an additional management fee on top of that. So what's weird is in this whole focus of fiduciaries, you've actually seen a lot of cases where the fee situation went too far the other way. Because you were paying that advisory fee to be a fiduciary and then they're putting mutual funds inside the portfolio with internal fees inside of them. And then you look at the makeup of the fund and look, here, here's the deal. If you're a retail client paying 3% a year on your, on your, you, you're not going to do well over the long run. You're going to drastically unperform, underperform the market. I'm just telling you. In an advisory setting. Now, you could be at a hedge fund or something like that and paying the equivalent of 3% a year and do well. But, you know, That hedge fund most likely isn't just going to be the S&P 500, right? You guys get what I'm saying? Like when you have a diversified portfolio like that and the percentages are that similar to the index, you might do a little better one year, you might do a little worse, but you're always get, you're guaranteed to do worse over the long run because it's going to be almost identical performance. But instead of paying 10 basis points in an ETF, you're paying 3%. And again, it doesn't sound like that, but you compound that over a 10-year period of time, that's between 40 to 50%. Taking the same amount of risk, invested in the same stuff. You know, it reminds me of what we were saying for years about bonds. How many of you took a licking in bonds in 2022? If you got hammered by bonds in 2022, you need to leave your advisor. Why? Because it is proof. Like I said, guys, predicting stock market moves consistently over it's impossible no look i i don't begrudge any other advice like it's nobody can i'm not bonds are different when we've got an inflation problem and the fed's looking at you going we're going to raise rates get out of bonds And, and my whole point is you know bring up the mutual fund fees if you got wrecked by bonds what are you paying a fee for if you got, look, I'll just tell you flat out: you got wrecked by bonds. Your bond portfolio got drilled in 2022. In my opinion, you got two options: move your money to somebody like us that actively manages it and knows that rising interest rate hurt bond valuations, or take it out and put it in Vanguard. Right? Either way, you're gonna like either way, you're gonna get more more bang for your buck, especially if you got one of those accounts where you're paying three percent. And in no way am I saying we're the only ones that can that can. Make sure this doesn't happen to you. But we are one of the ones that aren't going to do that to you. And if that interests you, if you have one of those portfolios that got wrecked, if you don't know how much you're paying and you think you might be in the same, guys, it's not a big deal. It's just the thing that's going to finance the rest of your life it's probably worth a 15-minute phone call. So give us a call, 866-779-RISK. Again, 866-779-RISK. Go to the radio show website, knowyourriskradio.com, capitalmanagement.com. You guys know the drill. Going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com.
0: Do better in bull markets. Do better in bear markets. Pay less fees in all markets. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital Management. You can subscribe to Zach's free newsletter, The Bulwark Insider Report, at knowyourriskradio.com.
1: How many times in recent memory has your financial advisor not reacted to current events and also not made a change in your investment portfolio? Now, think about all the volatile events during that time that have threatened your retirement.
2: That's Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital and host of the Know Your Risk Radio podcast.
1: Todd, we talk about it all the time, risk management. It's our number one focus. We actively manage every portfolio daily, looking for opportunities to lower risk, lower cost, and give you as much upside as possible. Let us show you how Bulwark's risk management strategy can protect that retirement you've worked so hard for.
2: This is exactly why you need Zach and Bulwark Capital in your corner. You only get one retirement. Learn how Bulwark does it with their free common sense investing guide. Call 866-779-RISK or simply go to knowyourriskradio.com. That's 866-779-RISK or go to knowyourriskradio.com. Investment advisory services offer their tech financial LLC and SEC registered investment advisor. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital Management.
1: And we are back. All right. since right. We've already done a couple shows now, kind of looking at the year, previewing it. Uh, did a show summarizing last year. What is the thing that we're looking at this year? What is the What is the most interesting thing? And by interesting, I mean... If you're a finance geek like I am, um, <laughs> I love what I do, and the reason I love it, it you know, it, it's like golf. You know, I, I'm an avid golfer, like a seven handicap. Uh, not playing going right now. I with kids basketball, coaching football. Yeah, I'd probably be lucky to go out there and break eighty five right now. But but um, it reminds me of golf. In the sense that um, it can be the most mind-numbing, maddeningly frustrating thing you ever do, which is precisely why it is so much fun when it's going well, right? It's so rewarding. The other thing is that, like golf, you never get to that level, right? Like you never cap out. You You can never bowl a 300. You can't golf a 300, right? I mean maybe you'd say the equivalent of that is like breaking 60 but it's still not perfect. Right? It's 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 always changing. It's always a new challenge. It's never boring. And and you know that that's that's what I love the most about this and I think that we have a setup this year that really typifies that. I think it is both fascinating because it's a situation that I don't think that. Well, it's a situation that we've never been in before. It is a situation that, you know, the the the, the powers that be, the government, the Federal Reserve, they're going to have to navigate uncharted waters, truly uncharted waters, right? And I I, I don't know how it'll play out. Especially when you look at how much liquidity, like I said, there's so many cross currents. It's just so crazy. And so many of these cross currents didn't used to, didn't used to exist at the same time. For instance, <laughs> one thing you have never seen is a hiking cycle as violent as the one we just had, but yet w- was accompanied with a wash of liquidity. Those two things don't usually, right? They don't usually, cor- you know, they don't usually coalesce. They don't come together. And that's what makes what the Fed is going to do with monetary policy, i.e., interest rates this year, that much more fascinating. And it's fascinating on both sides. People are like, oh, well, they're going to cut, they have to. Well, it's funny that we've been sitting there saying that, you know, Chase and I have been arguing that we don't think that that case is nearly easy to. S- now, we believe inflation is overstated. So I actually think now, and I don't know this to be the case, but I actually think they could get away with some cuts right now. The problem is, is what would it do to asset prices? And I think that that alone could, any progress you've made on inflation, you could quickly undo it. But that's, that's, there, therein lies the issue. Okay. Because you will see things blow up this, this year. VIA rates, specifically in commercial real estate, specifically in commercial office space. But remember, those things have tentacles out to other things. So you will see other things being impacted by them as well. I don't think there's a systemic risk. And the reason why is because the Fed is aware of this and they're going to be standing by and they'll just stuff money into the bot. right? It just, this We're not facing problems that can't be fixed with printed money. What we are facing, though, is you may be looking at bad outcomes regardless of whether they print or not. And that's fascinating to me. And here's what I mean. Everybody's like, oh, no, they're still going to they're still going to cut. Well, the Fed's Logan comes out and says no urgency on rate cuts. Doesn't surprise me. It's just a, a headline that's up, up right now floating around. And why is that? Because when you're fighting inflation, inflation is very tricky. History is littered with times of people thinking they've got it beat and it reaccelerates and the economy is reaccelerating right now and month over month i believe from december of last year to january of this year you had a a, gain, a pop up in inflation first time in seven or eight months you had a month over month gain right improving economic numbers i think that's a really tough environment for the fed to cut into and, and for those of you who don't really – four, four and a half percent growth, guys, you look back to the, the 05, 06 when the economy was really growing, going great guns and it felt like it and we weren't getting murdered by prices at the pump. Later in 07 we were uh, when oil shot up to 140 plus, but that didn't happen until late 07, um, right? Like the economy was rolling great guns. That was like three to three and a half percent growth, okay? Remember what those days – they don't feel like today. I mean, the stock market, well, the stock market feels even crazier today. You know, that's the other funny thing. You look back at 0809, and people are like, oh, the, the, the valuation on the stock market was basically half. Not at the bottom. Going into it, at the peak in 07, the valuation on the S&P 500 was like, all, it's almost exactly half. You, you were sitting right around 16, and right now you're 27, approaching 28 times earnings. So not quite but right there, right? So it's even cheaper. But but the fascinating part about this is each day that economic strength holds the Fed's hand and keeps them from cutting, you are getting more defaults, which means you are getting more pressure on banks. And this is a really interesting place that we've been talking about for some years because when you looked at monetary, when I see a central bank like the Federal Reserve Right, taking a monetary policy stance of being a hammer, and everything in the world is a nail, meaning you know every single problem, we're just going to throw money at it. You you know inherently that that isn't a. It's kind of like our debt situation, right? You're like, look, I don't know how high it goes. What is undeniable is that this level of spending and debt is unsustainable over the long run. Now, is the long run twenty years? Is it sixty years? We don't know right? But it's unsustainable. Well, the same is true in this case, right? Like, so you, when you, again, when you're just, we're just printing, eventually there will be by definition, right? Like, and this is the way the world works. It's, think of it as like antibiotics, right? Antibiotics are a miracle drug, miracle Look at monetary policy and fiscal policy is sort of the same way, right? Had we not had it, as much as I beat up on these guys, had we not had it, 8 09 could have very easily turned into a depression. It would have. The banks would have gone down. It could have been worse than the Great Depression. Okay, so we need monetary policy. I'm not one of these guys that goes... Fire the Fed, and you're like, dude. Look, you need a lender of last resort. The problem is, is that they're supposed to be a lender of last resort, not every resort, and and that's the problem. You've just gone from being a lender of last resort to uh, another operator engaged in markets full time. So by doing that, and this is kind of the philosophical part of markets, but we all know this in our lives, right? By by continually going back. To the trough and doing the same thing over and over and over again again like treating antibiotics if we treat antibiotics if we treat every little thing with antibiotics guess what we're going to reach a point where it doesn't work when we really need them monetary policy is exactly the same if you overuse that button you will create a scenario i.e inflation that printed money doesn't fix right so that's what's so fascinating about the setup this year you guys is because if you look at the banks and the stuff coming up for refinancing. And listen, this isn't dear this isn't look I you're going to see these defaults. You're going to see banks under pressure. I'd be surprised if we don't see some bank failures this year. But notice I'm not saying that that means we're necessarily going into a recession. Again, that government spending is still cranking. So that might be enough to counterbalance it. But what was really fascinating is what's the Fed going to do? Because we've been talking about this for years. Eventually, they're going to paint themselves in a corner where they're going to be dealing with a problem that printed money doesn't fix. Here we are. And now, because in my opinion, they tiptoed through the lilies so long, afraid to do this, rather than getting tough, draining the liquidity, taking the lumps, and we were saying this a year ago, they're flirting with it. Here we are. Now, what are they going to do? If they don't cut, you're going to get bad things to happen. Is that enough to tip us into recession? Doesn't seem to be at this point. Is it enough to create other systemic issues? Doesn't seem to be at this point. It's certainly not bullish. But it's hard to cut when you're looking at inflation rates. And guys, when we look at a world this complex with this many moving parts, this is why we firmly believe that spending that extra million and a half a year to have risk managers, to have active traders, to actually not put you in mutual funds, not double charge you, but to make sure that if the inflationary ramp keeps going, we're making money, but doing so in a way that we have a net underneath us all the time. Does it mean we're going to outperform every year? No. Does it mean we're never going to have years where we're down? No. What it does mean, though, is we can build portfolios that can keep you up with inflation, if not better, give you more upside, but remove the potential of catastrophic risk. And that's what we need in this market. We need the protection on both sides. That's what we do. So call us, 866-779-RISK. Again, 866-779-RISK. Go to the radio show website, knowyourriskradio.com, boardcapitalmanagement.com. You guys know the drill. Have a great weekend. Get, listen to the interview with Marcos. You won't want to miss it. It's a good one. I'm biased, but it's good. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next week. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com.